Well, good morning. Anybody bring a button pusher with them today? Oh, don't raise your hand if they're here. <laughs> Trick question, right? Hey, I'm glad that you're worshiping with us. I want to welcome those of you who are watching online. Happy New Year if you haven't tuned in yet this year. Welcome to winter in Florida, right? I mean, it's cold this morning. It'll be back to springtime by noon or so, and then probably summer by the end of the end of the day. Glad that you're joining us. I saw some people outside under the pavilion. They're all like huddled around those, those only two heaters we have out there. Um, so I hope you will enjoy it, enjoy the weather. Um, Julie mentioned almost all of the things on our program on the back. There's one or two things I want to just draw your attention to real quick. Um, some sad news possibly for some of you. For some of you, it might not be so sad. You might be like relieved. We are not going to have, there's going to be no Super Bowl party at SEC campus this year. I'm tired of the Dolphins not being in there. We're just going to boycott Super Bowl parties till the Finns are finally in. So I'm sure it'll only take a couple more decades. Uh, <laughs> um, we just didn't feel like we could do that um, in a socially distanced way. We usually have 300 people crammed in here like sardines. Um, so we're going to encourage you to do the Super Bowl um, with your family, with your friends that you're already connected with. If you have a small group or a team and you're already meeting face-to-face and you guys want to have a, a Super Bowl party, great thing to do. We will endeavor to be back together next year. Next year we'll be back uh, with a Super Bowl even bigger and better than ever before because I know the Dolphins will be in there next year. Um, so I just wanted to give you a heads up on that. So if you wanted to... Uh, if you wanted to start planning your party, you can um, with whoever you want to invite to those things. And then the other thing that she mentioned is the true spirituality, the becoming a Romans 12 Christian. That class starts this Wednesday night, 630. We have about four to six spots open for that. It's a Chip, Chip Ingram study. So I want to show you the video for this one more time so that you can jump in. Hey, Cassie, how you doing? Don't have the usual. You got it. So much. Hi, my name's Chip Ingram, and we're going to start a journey together. It's called True Spirituality, the small group series. And I'm here very purposefully. Coffee shops are where I like to hang out. Because it's one thing to read this book privately and ask God to help you become a Romans 12 Christian. And I know you're going to hear some great teaching on the weekend. But here's the thing. Life change happens in community. It happens when you get together with a group of people and you share your heart and you love one another. You begin to talk about what's really going on inside. You know, I've had probably the best times in my entire life over a cup of coffee with my wife or one of my kids. or I've actually met in small groups right in a place like this. We're going to go on a journey together, not to learn more in your head, but to get your heart and your mind around not the principles of Romans 12, but a picture that will transform your life. that picture we talked about, uh, that picture that is taking those principles to reality, well, that picture in essence really isn't a picture at all. It's a person. It's the person of Jesus. True spirituality is loving God and loving people 24-7. That's what this journey is about. It's not just studying Romans chapter 12. It's following, knowing, falling in love with Jesus and following him in a powerful way. So grab those study guides, a cup of coffee, and let's roll. 
great class for you to jump into. And I want to let you know there's going to be a, a streaming component. So if you're watching from home and you're not ready to do face-to-face yet, you can kind of stream into that class, listen to the discussion, watch the video, participate in the homework as well. And um, you'll be able to type in. There will be a moderator there. You can type in some questions. I'll try to get some, to some of your questions or comments as well. Uh, so if you'd like to have the online component of that, that's kind of an unlimited kind of a seating thing. Uh, you can sign up for that as well. It'll start Wednesday night, and it'll go for 12 weeks uh, every week on Wednesday. All right. If you've got your program, take out your outline, open that up. Um, there's several things I want you to jot down. Uh, we're going to talk about we're going to talk about our button pushers. Who's pushing your buttons? If you're watching online, great opportunity for you to download uh, the interactive outline to your device, and you can kind of fill it in uh, with your stylus or your finger there, and um, and follow along as well. We're in a series that we started last week called Unmasking Relationships, Timeless Truths, Timeless Relationship Truths in the New Normal. And it's amazing to me how God can write down some verses. The verses we're going to look at today were written about 3,000 years ago. And how those verses written down 3,000 years ago can apply like they were written exactly for us as we're going through this pandemic, political junk, and everything else that's been happening in 2021, 2020 and 2021. Um, This series that we're looking at is on healthy relationships. And I want us to look at who's pushing your buttons. One of the most amazing things about the difficult people in our lives, isn't that a nice way to put it? Difficult people. Think about the difficult people in your family, at work, in your class or at school. Um, One of the amazing things about the difficult people in our lives is how quickly they can flip us from happy to angry, like that. Have you noticed this? You're going through your typical day maybe, and you got up and you had your quiet time, and you've had your cup of coffee, and things are just, the birds are chirping, and everything is good today. You know, it's just one of those bright, sunshiny days for you. You feel great. And then the ornery person in your life walks in to your office or they walk into your classroom or maybe you haven't even left the house yet. Maybe they walk into your kitchen. And in about 1.2 seconds, you go from everything's fine to angry and frustrated and your good mood turns bad. You're upset. They can flip us that fast. They know how to push our buttons. So, by the way, I just want you to look around the room. Just take a good look around. Everybody who's here, just get, you know, go ahead and crane your head behind you, see who see slipped in while you were singing. Take a look at everybody in the room. Because I want you to know I've been praying that God would bring all the angry people to church today. <laughs> or all the people who deal with angry people in their lives. That's all of us, isn't it? People know how to push our buttons. So if we're going to deal with healthy relationships, we've got to learn how to deal with anger. We've got to understand how anger shows up in our own life, and we've got to understand how anger shows up in our life when it walks through the door. How to deal with it in our lives and how to diffuse it 
in the lives of others, particularly those who push our buttons. So let me give you some facts that I looked up about anger. And honestly, I don't know who does these studies. It's the they, right? They, they study, they say. So whoever they are, more power to you. But they have determined that the average woman loses her temper three times a week. And they say that the average man loses his temper six times a week. Now, I know most of you really well, and I know that we are above average, aren't we? Many of us. They tell us that women get angry more often at people, and men get angry at inanimate objects like computers, lawnmowers, chainsaws, anything mechanical. Yes. We know that women, or they tell us, and you probably know, We know women are more verbal with their anger, and men are more physical with their anger. They kick it, they pound it, they throw it. We know that. I found this interesting. I did not know this. They say single adults express anger twice as often as married adults. Hmm. I'm thinking there's some... There's some survey problems here. I mean, maybe they interviewed people sitting next to their spouse, right? Because, yeah, I'm angry. If she's sitting right there, I'm going to tell you I'm angry half the time. Um, The place that you're most likely to be angry, anybody know? Home, at home, yes. Because we get angry more often and more intensely at those we love more than strangers. That's obvious. The people who make us most angry are those that we love the most because they have the greatest potential to hurt us or to offend us or to irritate us or to frustrate us or all of the above. We all have challenging people in our lives. Now, if you can't think of any challenging people, I say it kind of jokingly, tongue-in-cheek, but it's true. If there's like nobody challenging in your life, you are the challenging person. In many lives, probably. So I want you to know, before we start, kind of the disclaimer, right on the top of your outline, I want you to fill it in, that anger is not always an inappropriate response. Anger is not always wrong. We fill that in, anger is not always wrong. But uncontrolled anger is always wrong. In fact, there are many situations where anger is appropriate. There are many situations where anger is actually an evidence of love. Somebody tries to hurt my wife, somebody tries to hurt my kids, somebody tries to hurt my grandkids, and I don't get angry? What's wrong with me? If I'm just apathetic, I don't care, I don't love. There are some things that we ought to be angry about, especially as Christians. I get angry about injustice in the world. I get angry about greed in the world. I get angry about racism in the world, and you should too. God does. I get angry when people go to bed at night hungry, yet there's people that have so much they they could never spend it all in a million lifetimes. They feed their dogs better than most of the world eats. So when people get raped, or when people are abused, or when people are trafficked, That ought to make us angry. 
like it does God. Because anger is an evidence of love. In fact, the only reason we're able to get angry is because we are made in God's image. The Bible says that God gets angry. God has emotions. We are made in his image, so he gives us the ability to have emotions. In fact, it's interesting to me that 375 times in the Bible, more than one a day for a whole year, 375 times in the Bible it says that God got angry, Jesus got angry, the Holy Spirit got angry. So there are some things that are definitely wrong, and we ought to be angry about them. There's a righteous anger and an unrighteous anger. There's a right way and a wrong way to express anger. There's an appropriate way and an inappropriate way. Not all anger is sin, but selfish anger is sinful. Self-centered anger is sinful. Uncontrolled anger is always sinful. The Bible says that there are times when it is appropriate to be angry. Sometimes it's helpful. But let's face it, most of the time, anger in our lives is harmful. Proverbs 12, 16 And I'm going to give you so many Proverbs today. Proverbs, what I like about Proverbs is it's so practical. Just like James is blunt and practical in the New Testament, Proverbs is blunt and practical in the Old Testament. You don't even need a pastor to explain these to you. Look what it says, a fool. And we talked about fools last week, what fool or foolish means. It means dumb and stupid. We don't like to say those words, but that's what it means. A fool is quick-tempered. Anytime I have a hair-triggered temper, I'm a fool. I'm foolish. A fool is quick-tempered, but a wise person stays calm when insulted. That is so hard today, isn't it, with social media? How hard is it to stay calm when you're being insulted? I mean, people will just flat-out insult you on your page, on your news feed, on your comments. And he's saying it's wise if we'll just let let that roll off our backs, but it's hard. The wise person stays calm when insulted. The fact is that anger in our lives is a learned response. We learn how to be angry. We learn it from other people. We have lots of bad examples in our lives. We learn it from others, whether we learn it from television or we learn it from from the news or we learn it from movies or you learn it from the other kids on the playground or maybe you learned it from your older siblings. We certainly learn it from our parents. From other people in our lives, we learn how to be angry, how to act angry. The good news is is that since it's learned, it can also be unlearned. We can learn appropriate ways to deal with our anger. And what I want us to do today is two things. First, I want us to understand the different ways that anger shows up, shows up in our lives or shows up in our lives by walking through the door in our lives and other people. There are a lot of ways that anger shows up. Not all of us are exploders. Not all of us are volcanoes. We'll talk about it. Some of us, we hide it. We'll get to you. Okay? So we're going to look at how do we identify the four ways of anger in our own lives and also in the lives of others. And then I want to share some biblical principles on how to diffuse anger, diffuse the angry people in our life, and disarm them and how to diffuse the anger in our own hearts so that we don't retaliate. Because anger brings on more anger. 
The Bible identifies four different ways that we express anger, and I just, I just gave them kind of some corny, modern-day names for these. Hopefully you'll remember them. I, I, I want to emphasize the word corny, okay? These are four ways. Now, let me just give you a caveat I gave you last week. This is so hard because you're going to hear this message on anger, and I promise you, you're going to be so tempted to be thinking, I sure hope my husband is listening. He's right here. I hope it, You're going to be so, so, so tempted to nudge him or her in the ribs. You're going to be so tempted to be thinking, man, I got to get this to my brother-in-law. I got to, you know, I'm, I'm going to invite my, I'm going to invite my mom to watch this on Facebook right now. You know, let, let me just, we've got to plot, we've got to first figure out who we are and, and control what we can control. Okay. So I'm just going to give you that caveat. All right. First one, write down. This one's the easy one. This is the machine gun. This is the easiest form of anger to identify because the machine gunners, they are people who just, they just let you have it. They just mow you down. There's no doubt that they're mad. They're very expressive. They cuss, they yell, they throw things, they hit, they let it fly. These are the exploders. These are the the, the volcanoes around us, the mount, they're, they're like tick, 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 ticking time bomb. And when you pull that hair trigger, it's obvious. It's just all over everybody. This is the, the most obvious. And they just kind of, they're the attackers. They're the machine guns. Da, 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 right? And the response is so obvious, and they realize that they've blown it. They've blown their top. That often, the machine guns... They want to apologize right away. Oh, I'm so sorry. I mean, they don't even realize that the nuclear explosion, the, 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 the percussion is still, it's still, you know, reverbing through the whole house, and they're ready to apologize. Nobody's ready to hear that yet. It's like they regret what they've done. They're embarrassed. They're ashamed. They want to apologize. But this isn't the only kind of anger, just the most identifiable. The second one I want you to jot down, maybe this is you or maybe this is who you live with, the mute. The mute is the exact opposite of the machine gun. They don't blow up, they clam up. They don't get violent, they get silent. They don't hold, they, 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 they hold it in. They live in denial. In fact, sometimes they, they put a mask on. And they pretend. They refuse to admit when they're, I'm not angry. Oh, honey, I can tell you're angry. You're grinding. You're, no, I'm not angry. Yeah, yeah, you are. Your nostrils are, I'm not angry. I can tell you, you want to see angry, you know. Dun, dun, dun. You're holding it in. You're not the explosive type of anger. This is what I call kind of the crockpot anger. You know, it's it's simmering. It's on low, but it's a it's a slow burn. But at some point, it's going to stink up the whole house, right? It's coming. They don't just kind of all over you like the volcano does, but there it's a slow burn. It's coming. The the mutes swallow their anger, and this is a problem because if you do this, what I always say is, every time you swallow your anger, your stomach keeps score. And if you don't talk it out, if you don't learn to resolve, 
conflict. We'll talk about conflict next week. If, if, you're, if you're always holding your anger in, then you end up taking it out on your body. So you end up with people that hold all their anger in, they end up with high blood pressure. They end up with chronic pain. They end up with tension headaches. They end up with ulcers. All these anger-related effects on their body. So are you, are you holding in un, unexpressed anger? People say, well, that burns me up. It really does. It's burning you up from the inside. It's literally as if you've, you've taken poison or you've, you've, you've taken a sip of, of, of lava, like of fire. It's burning you up. You've heard me say many times that it's not so much what you eat, it's what's eating you that's the problem. So if you're holding on to anger, it's eating you from the inside. So we've got machine guns, we've got mutes, we've got the violent, we've got the silent, we've got the blow up and the clam up. The third one I want you to write down is the martyr. Some of you grew up with the martyr, or you've got them in your family. Maybe you're the martyr in your family. The martyrs are pros at holding pity parties. They, they throw a pity party, they send out invitations, and all the invitations are only to themselves. They're passive, they're passive-aggressive sometimes, and they, they tend to punish themselves. And if you're a martyr, if you're stuck in this, you have a tendency when, when a difficult person comes into your life, you, you, you don't think, well, man, my mom's nuts. You actually think, well, it's my fault. What did I do? What's wrong with me? What did I do wrong? And if you constantly walk around saying to yourselves, I should have, I could have, I ought to, I have to, if you're always shooting yourselves, then you're going to become a martyr and, and you're going to blame yourself. And maybe you've just, maybe you just got a crazy coworker. I mean, maybe it's them, you know, they're like nuts. But you're always, you're always, maybe you've got a difficult relative. Don't blame yourself. You're the martyr. Number one sign that, that you might be the martyr, you have the martyr approach to anger. Number one sign is depression. Now, depression is caused by many different things. But one of the primary causes of depression is what they call frozen anger. It's when we hold on to anger from hurts in our past, and then we, we freeze it. We don't deal with it. And we make ourselves a martyr, and we get depressed maybe you've got someone like this in your family they they always have to be coddled they always have to be coaxed they always have to be pampered and they're not happy and they're not happy until everybody's not as happy as they're not happy you know misery loves company and they might ruin all the family gatherings and parties they're the martyrs it's just as wrong to be a martyr or a mute as it is to be the machine gun the last one i want you to jot down is the manipulator the motto of the manipulator is don't get mad, get even. Some of you know this one, yes. Maybe oh, it's because they're in your life, not you, right? But that's a lot, lot of us never going to let you see me angry, but I'm going to get even when you're not watching. Many movies, many TV shows go on this premise category of, of, of anger. Manipulators won't tell you to your face that they're angry. They'll just do it subtly. They'll do it on the sly. They'll do it sarcastically. They're going to do it with all their, their jibs and their jabs and their cuts. 
And they do things to, to sabotage you, to make you look bad, but you can never really catch them. You know, they, 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 don't, they don't ever own up to the fact that they're seething with anger. In fact, when they do something hurtful to you and you call them out on it, their response is, can't you take a joke? I was only kidding. Can't you take a joke? All four of these, whether you're the machine gunner, you're the martyr, you're the manipulator, you're the mute, you learn how to be angry this way by the people who are around us, and that's not helpful. None of these, maybe you're a combination of more than one, but we can unlearn them. So what I want to do is spend the rest of our time, the bulk of our time, on how do we disarm the person who uses these against us? How do you, how do you deal with the difficult people in your life who pushes your buttons? How do we deal with our anger and not get angry back at them when they're angry with us? When they won't come out and admit that they're... What are the things that we can do to disarm the button pushers? So again, if you don't... If you never really taken notes, this would be a good one to take because I think if we could memorize these verses, really if we could memorize this whole message, this is something that Pastor Rich and I will usually teach at least twice a year on anger. So if you're like, well, man, he talked about anger. I've heard him talk about this two or three times. Don't worry. I'm just going to keep doing it till we get this right. And if you're like me and you're like regular people, you probably need a a refresher every couple of years. These are the verses from Proverbs. By the way, we're going to look at the book of Proverbs Proverbs teaches these things over and over again. You could pro- I could probably give you three or four times as many verses just from Proverbs that say the exact same thing. So the first thing I want you to jot down, if I'm going to disarm the button pushers in my life, I've got to calculate the cost. Will you write that down? I've got to calculate the cost of my anger. Because when we allow ourselves to get angry back, we have to know there is a price. We are paying. So we have to calculate what that cost is. What is the cost of my anger? Because we're less likely to get angry when we step back and we realize, wait a minute, I don't want to pay this price. This isn't worth it. There's always a price tag to me getting angry back to the button pushers. By the way, you know why the button pushers are putting, pushing your buttons, right? They're trying to set you off. And we get, we're like, okay, you want to push my buttons? That's fine. This is not a price we want to pay. The Bible is very specific about uncontrolled anger. Look what it says in Proverbs 29, 22. An angry person starts fights, and a hot-tempered person commits all kinds of sins. We're going to get in more trouble. We're going to get in more sin if we get angry. So don't do it. I don't want to get in an argument. It's going to cause an argument when I get angry. That's what the the button pushing leads to. So if I get angry, what's the cost? I'm going to get in trouble. I'm going to sin. I'm going to cause more arguments. I'm going to come back later and apologize. I'm going to have to do a whole lot more work repairing the damage done. Foolish things I'm going to do if I get angry. Do I want to get angry at you when you're pushing my buttons? No, absolutely not. So here's what I've got to remember. Write this down on the bullet point. I always lose... When I lose my temper, I always lose when I lose my temper. I lose respect. I lose the respect of others. I lose the 
the love of my family. We can lose our job over losing our temper. I have a friend of mine who got fired because he threw a phone across the room at work at his boss. He missed the boss. They fired him anyway. He regrets it. His wife really regrets it. We can lose our temper, and it can cost us a job. We can lose our our health by stuffing it down. By the way, let me just say, it's funny to me how, you know, almost every single ethnic group has this excuse they pull out when they lose their temper. Have you ever heard this? Like, well, I'm German. We have a temper. Well, I'm Italian. We have a temper. Well, I'm Irish. We have a temper. It's like everybody has it. Well, I'm Puerto We know. You're Puerto Rican. You have a temper. No, the whole island has a temper, apparently. You know? And it's like everybody has a temper. And they just go, well, we're, we're Swedish. We have a temper. What? You know? I mean, are, is there anybody on the planet? Are the people, you know, are the Eskimos like, we're Eskimos. We're calm. I don't know. I don't know any Eskimos. I bet if you went wherever they're Eskimos and you said, you know, they said, we're Eskimos. We have a, we have a temper. We all think that we, that's our card. Like, hey, excuse it. I'm Irish. You know, it's like, no kidding. What we ought to just say is, I'm human. We have a temper. Because it's all of us. So here's the thing. We can, the thing about a temper is it can get you some short-term satisfaction. If you have a big temper and you yell a lot, like you walk into your kids and you scream and holler, the, the toys get picked up a little faster. It, it really works. Well, Pastor Eric, you just don't know. When I come and scream at my kids, man, those toys, they clean their room up in like five minutes. I've been yelling at them from downstairs all day. I come in the room and, and all of a sudden everything's in the toy box. You're telling me that's not good? We're telling you that's not good. It does get some short-term satisfaction, right? You start yelling at your team at work, they work a little faster. You start yelling at the kids you're, you're in Little League with, and they run a little faster. They, they, they work a little harder. But the damage you do over time. Do you see this video just a few weeks ago on, on Facebook with a big giant, big, giant football coach, little tiny Mighty Mike player, comes across there. He slaps him in the head. He picks him up, shakes him. He throws him to the ground. That guy's in jail now. You don't want him coaching your team. You don't want kids playing for you because they're afraid of you how many kids have been alienated from their dads or their moms because the anger is out of control how many people have been alienated from a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a husband or wife because you saw a flash of oh my goodness there's like serial killer anger there and you're like what a what what am i dealing with Anger destroys relationships faster than anything else. I'll say it again. Anger destroys our relationships faster than anything else. So when somebody starts pushing your buttons and pushing your buttons and they're pushing their but- your buttons, before we retaliate, before we get angry back, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Do I want to cause argument? Do I want to do foolish things? Do I want to have more sin? No, I don't. So Proverbs 14:29 says this. We should memorize this one. People with understanding control their anger. A hot temper shows great foolishness. We talked about foolishness last week. Foolishness equals dumbness. Being 
being a fool equals being dumb. It also equals stupidness. We don't like to say the S word, but it's stupidness. So the number one is I've got to calculate the cost of my anger and not just pay lip services. Yeah, yeah, Jerry, I know it's, it's costly. But to really individually calculate, do I really want to damage my relationship with my kids, with my siblings, with my coworkers, with my spouse, by, by letting uncontrolled anger rule in my heart? Number two, I already know I've got to keep moving because I almost ran out of time last time. Number two, I've got to look past their words to their pain. Look past their words to their, pa- to their pain. The button pusher in your life has some pain. Now, I bring this up. I talked about this last week just a little bit. And by the way, if you haven't gone back yet, you missed last week, and you haven't gone back and, and watched it online or listened to it, I encourage you to do that because we talked about the foundation for this whole series, the six ways to be wise in your relationships, and you need that as we go through, as we unpack all of this. So go back and listen. It was a lot of fun. We had a lot of laughing. Anytime we have to talk about a really difficult subject, I usually bring up a lot of humor. So this, hilar- this, this whole series is going to be hilarious, let me tell you, because this is difficult. All right, you look past their words to their pain, to their feelings. You don't respond to what they're saying. I know they're pushing your buttons with words. They're saying it. But you look at why. Why are they saying what they're saying? Proverbs 19.11 says, Sensible people control their temper. They earn respect by overlooking wrongs. What a good verse. If you're wise, you don't listen to their words. You overlook their wrongs, what the wrong things are saying, and you look behind their words to the pain behind their words. A man's or a woman's wisdom gives them patience. I've said many times, thousand times I've said these words here at Seminole. Hurt people, what? Hurt people. So when someone is hurting you, when they're pushing your buttons, it's because they've been hurt and they're still hurting. Unkind people are people who have never fully felt kindness. Unloving people are people who have never fully felt loved. When someone is rude, bitter, sarcastic, mean-spirited, arrogant, attacking, shouting with all their behaviors, what they're really saying is, I need massive Doses of love. I need a hug. I haven't been hugged since February. And they do. They don't feel secure. I don't feel secure. So I'm lashing out. I'm pushing your buttons. Because here's the thing. Secure, loved people don't act that way. They're not rude. They're not judgmental. We go back to the love chapter. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is long-suffering. So when you're not kind and you're not, when you're going through these, it's a, it's a clue to indicate the person who feels deeply loved and deeply secure is generous and gracious with other people. I'm going to repeat that. Some of you might want to write it down. That's tweetable. The person who feels deeply loved and deeply secure is generous and gracious with other people. Wow. What if we change that word? We said the mom 
who feels deeply loved and deeply secure is generous and gracious to her kids. The husband who feels deeply loved and deeply secure is generous and gracious with his wife. You could exchange a lot of words there. When someone is mean and cranky, they are telegraphing in the most clear terms possible, I'm in pain. What they need is not what they deserve. Those of you who those of you who are caregivers and you're dealing with somebody who's hurt, often the hurt people are hurting other people around them. You have to identify that. So you have to decide, am I going to be overcome with am I going to overcome evil with good? Or am I just going to retaliate and be at their level? We've got to be better than that person and to overcome evil with good. So we respond with love. We look past their words. We don't retaliate to their pain. All right, number three. I've got to think before reacting. This is a difficult one for me. I've got to think before reacting because I'm an overreactor. Glad my wife's not in here to say amen this time. My kids are. They're probably going, yep. I'm, I'm an overreactor, so when someone, when someone starts to irritate me, when someone starts to push my buttons, I can quickly. I, don't, I usually think after, after I respond. I realize that was dumb. That was terrible. I'm supposed to be the pastor. I need to apologize. When somebody starts to push our buttons and they want to irritate us, we've got to think before reacting. Because, let me just say this, anger control is often an issue of mouth control, isn't it? If I could just control this, I could control a lot of my anger or a lot of the retaliation. Most of us, we put our mind in gear way before, we need to put our mind in gear before our mouth gets in gear. We, We do the opposite. Let me give you two quick Proverbs. Proverbs 13, 16, wise people think before they act. Fools don't. Wise people think before they act. Fools don't. If the proverb fits, wear it, right? Um, Proverbs 29.11, fools vent their anger. If I get full venting to my anger, I'm just a fool. But the wise quietly hold it back. The Hebrew word there literally means gives it time to cool off. They, they cool it. That's why the phrase chill out is a biblical term. You tell your kids, hey, chill out. Cool it back there. You're just quoting Jesus. And what do you do while you're waiting? You ask yourself some questions. Why am I angry? Why is this frustrating me? Why is this getting to me? And then what, you ask yourself, what do I really want out of this relationship? Do I, want, do I want to meet their sarcasm and get them back? You know, do I want to retaliate? And how do I get what I really want out of this relationship? We've got to ask ourselves, why am I angry? What do I really want out of this relationship and how do I get it? Because blowing up at them is rarely going to get us what we want. If we reflect before reacting, if we think before speaking, we can identify the root cause of anger. I'm going to give you the three root causes of anger. The most important thing that you're going to leave here with is is disinformation. The most transformational thing that can happen in your marriage, your relationship with your kids, your spouse, your parents, your coworkers, your boss, even in your HOA, 
is when you realize that there are three root causes that cause almost all anger. Anger in you and in them. Number one, I want you to write these three down. Hurt. Hurt causes anger. When somebody's pushing your buttons and they're angry, it's because they are hurt. Because when you get hurt, you get angry. If I'm at home in my garage on my workbench and I'm nailing a nail with a hammer and I miss the nail and I hit my thumb, what do I say? Now, I'm a pastor, so I'm like, praise the Lord, hallelujah. Do you not know any pastors? No. If I hit my thumb with a hammer, I get angry. I'm angry at the hammer. I'm angry at the nail who jumped out of the way. I'm angry at my thumb who didn't get out of the way. I'm angry at the idiot holding the hammer. And if you're in the garage, I'm angry at you because you're there. Okay? Because when you're hurt... You get angry. That's why I was saying, those of you who are EMTs and nurses, you know this. Some that poor, God bless you. Just God bless you. If you're, if you're a caregiver like that, you know, you, after they have surgery, after they're, they're in pain, they're the angriest, cantankerous people. The sweet little old lady when she walks in. But, man, once, you, once you're in pain, you know, they lash out. Because they're hurt. That happens all the time. And it, it should help us because it's easier to deal with, oh, this guy's he's livid, he's angry, he's frothing at the mouth. He's hurt, he's hurting. And we can be more empathetic to someone who's hurting than someone who's angry. Anger makes us feel defensive when we realize, oh, they're hurting. That's what it is. That's the first thing that causes anger. Second thing, frustration. When you get frustrated, you get angry. So when your little toddler can't get all the little pieces to go where they want the little pieces to go, they get frustrated and angry, and they start acting out. And some of us don't realize that as toddlers, we're we're just 53-year-old toddlers running around here. You know, that's what I am. I'm, I'm just a big toddler. And, and when things don't go the way I want them to go or things how I think they should go or fit the way I want them to fit, I get frustrated. And that looks like anger. Frustration causes anger. When you can't control a situation, it makes you angry. Now, the nicest way I can say this to some of you is the higher control person you are. That's a nice way to say it, right? I'm a high control person. That sounds way better than control freak. We know what we're saying when we say high control person. If you're a control freak, you are more, con- more prone to anger. Because you realize, I can't control this. You, some of you have realized, I can't control my spouse. You still try, but you can't control your spouse. You can't control your kids. Some of us would love for you to be able to control your kids. Would you please control that kid? But you can't control the kid. In fact, people without kids... It's hilarious because people who've never had children, they think that we can control our kids. They're like, I wish you would control your kids. I'm like, well, why didn't I think of that? (laughs) Sure, I hit a little button, they're controlled. It doesn't work like that. That little button you're pushing, yeah, you're pushing some buttons, but it doesn't control anybody. You can't control your boss. You can't control your employees. You can't control your, certainly can't control your parents. 
You can't even control yourself most of the time. Good grief. And because you can't control, and you're a high control person, we call them control freaks, you get frustrated at all because you start to realize almost all of life is out of our control. It's like this big joke from God, like, oh, I'm gonna make, you know, you, you want to control everything? Sure, I'm going to put you on a planet that is uncontrollable. And that creates frustration, which creates anger. The last one is fear. The third thing, when we're afraid, when we feel threatened, when we feel attacked, when we're afraid, we fight back. You take any animal, you take the most cuddly, softest, sweetest animal in the world, you put them in a corner, you make them feel cornered and attacked, and they will, that little koala bear is coming at you, buddy. It's going to strike back. Whether it's tame or wild, a cornered animal will strike back. That's why delay is a great cure for anger. It allows us to reflect before reacting. Am I hurt? Am I frustrated? Am I afraid? Is that what's causing my anger? Or are they hurt? Are they frustrated? Are they afraid? Is my child, is he hurt? Is he frustrated? Is he afraid? That's why he's, is my spouse, is she hurt? Is she frustrated? Is she afraid? Uh, Is my boss, is he hurt? Is he in every relationship? This is what causes anger, hurts, frustrations, fear, or a combination of those. The longer we hold our temper, the better it gets. Now, Thomas Jefferson was no theologian, but he is famous for what he said about anger. He said, if you're angry, count to ten. If you're really angry, count to a hundred. I think if he was alive today, he would say, and if you're angry on Facebook, count to a thousand. That's wise advice. Don't, don't comment back. Sleep on it. Don't text back right away. Don't fire off an email. Calm down. Count to ten. Count to a hundred. And what do you do during the, during, during the delay? You try to understand the cause. And the more I understand, the more understanding I'll be. The more I understand my children, the more understanding I'll be with my children. The more I understand my spouse, the more understanding I'll be with my spouse. What people don't realize is that anger is contagious. So we've got to slow down the anger. When we get loud, they get loud. When they get loud, we get louder. Proverbs 15.1 says, A gentle answer will deflects anger but harsh words make tempers flare what does that mean it means just talking quieter can bring down the level of anger it can ratchet it down talking louder can increase the anger all right last one i'll finish with this one if i'm gonna disarm the button pushers in my life I've got to ask God for help. I ask God for help. I actually ask him, God, help me. Look what it says, Psalm 141, 3. Take control of what I say, O Lord, and guard my lips. Great verse for us to think about as the button pusher starts pushing the buttons. 
be nice if Psalm 143, 141.3 popped into my mind. Take control of what I say, O Lord. Guard my lips. Because when we start to get angry, what comes out of our lips sometimes surprises us. I I don't know where that came from. I can't believe I said that. Well, I'll tell you where it came from. You want to know where all those bad things you said, all those bad words you said came from? They came from inside of you. You know, everybody know what this is? Anybody know what this is? Not a trick question. Toothpaste, right? Do you know what's in here? If I, if I flip open the lid, peanut butter, right? No. We've, we've opened enough of these boxes to know, and we've squeezed enough of these tubes to know what's in here. It's toothpaste. But you don't really know what's in there until you, until you squeeze, right? So how do you really know there's toothpaste in here? You squeeze it, and all the little minty fresh comes out. And here's the thing. What we like to blame is that the hand caused the toothpaste to come out. But the reality is, what comes out of a toothpaste tube is whatever's in it. In our hearts, in our lives, when the hand of the pandemic or the hand of the political strife or the hand of quarantining or the hand of the pressures of the world, when it squeezes our life, what comes out of our mouth is what's in our heart. It's not the hand's fault toothpaste came out. It's not the culture's fault, the pressure's fault, society's fault, circumstances fault. Those words came out of your mouth. Those words came out of your mouth because that's what's in your heart and in my heart. I don't know where it came from. It came from inside you, buddy. And the key is we've got to change what's in our heart. It's like, did any of you grow up here in the south? I grew up in, I grew up in central Florida. Do y'all remember when we as kids, we used to drink out of a hose? Did any of you ever drink out of a hose? I mean, kids today have no idea that you can drink water out of a hose. They don't even drink water out of the tap of the sink. They drink water out of like a, a Capri, a juice thing, or a bottle. All their water comes prepackaged. It's like somebody invented water. So when we were kids, young people, you're not going to believe this, we would walk over to the spigot on the side of a house in a hose, not even with an end on it, just cut off hose, and we would go, 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 drink water. And if you grew up down here, some of the water at some people's houses from their hose smells like rotten eggs. It was sulfur water. Any of you ever tasted sulfur water before? Raise your hand like you're proud, right? Yeah. And the sick thing is you drink it long enough, you get used to it. That's, that's, that's scary. I mean, you give you, you you like ah, yeah, you know, rotten eggs, and you just like you know it's gonna I don't know whatever your granddad said. He puts hair on your chest or whatever, you know. And here's the thing: if you have one of those wells in your yard and it's it's sulfur water that's there, it, you you can call all the plumbers you want and say, hey. Could you, could you put, give me a new pump? And they come out and put in a new pump. It doesn't change the water coming out of the hose. 
Because you've got to get to the source of the water. You're tapped into the aquifer in a place where whatever the chemicals that are down there have created all this sulfur. And when that gets up and it hits the air, whoo, it smells like crazy. And you gotta, you've got to have a different source of water. The spring has been affected. The source has been contaminated with sulfur. That's why it smells so bad. You see, in our hearts, we got to get to the source of the problem. Because if you just kind of control your mouth every now and then, but you don't get to the source, every now and then you're going to let some things out. And it's going to stink your whole house up like rotten eggs. you got to get to the source. God is the one who can change your heart. He's the one who can get you a new source that will spring forth instead of, instead of words that hurt and maim and anger. Look what he says in Galatians 5.22. This is the last verse. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. That's enough right there. Just circle those three. Oh, no, that, there's kindness. Well, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness. That's good, too. Goodness, faithfulness. Gentleness, self we need all of these, all nine. That's the fruit of God's Spirit in our lives, in our heart. You see, I found when I'm filled with myself, when I'm filled with Jerry, almost anything can get me upset, tick me off, make me explode. But when I'm filled with the Spirit, almost nothing makes me upset because I'm filled with His love, His peace. His joy, His kindness, His goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and a whole lot of self-control. So how do you get filled with God's Spirit? Don't make this complicated. It just means you got to depend. I've got to depend on God and not on Jerry. I've got to depend on God. You depend on God and not on you. And you pray that very simple but very effective prayer, two-word prayer. The most important two-word prayer you can pray, help me. Or three-word prayer, God, help me. I'm depending on you, not depending on me. And as you do that, as you ask God to help, not just help control my mouth, help change my heart, then you'll find those words won't come out as often. What you, when life squeezes you, instead of anger and vindictiveness and all these bad things, what will come out is joy and peace and self-control, and love, even though it's being squeezed by the same pandemic, the same political pressures, the same pressures of society and circumstances, what comes out is something from God. Well, let's pray and ask him to help us. Heavenly Father, it's sad but true that we often get angry with the people that we love the most, those that we're closest to. Because we, are, we forget that you're the source of all that we need, not others. So we get angry. Jesus, please help us to remember that when we expect anybody else to meet the needs that only you can meet, we're going to be disappointed. We're going to be frustrated. We're going to be let down. We're going to be angry. And Heavenly Father, I'm certain that there are people here who are struggling with anger. One of these four forms that we talked about.
they're angry because of hurt or because of frustration or because of insecurity or maybe a combination or all three. And you, Jesus, are the answer to all three of those. Help them to experience hope and healing today. Now, why don't you pray? Right from your living room, right from the pavilion, right from in here. And you just say, dear God, just say this. Say, I admit I have a problem with my anger. And I let other people push my buttons. And I get even. And I retaliate. And I fight back. And I don't think before speaking. So I'm asking for your help. Help me to reflect before reacting. Help me to learn to release my anger appropriately. God, please make changes in my heart that only you can make. And I'm asking for this help, Jesus, in your name. Amen.